The world is starving all around you. Have you dared to make a difference? 20,000 children will die today from poverty and a lack of giving. While we're curled up in the cozy heat, someone's in the cold, sleeping on the street, crying out to God saying, please help me. I really need your mercy. I'm just too weak. Just last week, I read a very sad statistic. Almost half of Detroit people are poverty inflicted. Man, what is this? How dare we walk past the hungry and call ourselves Christians? This situation needs fixing. And our hard hearts need cleansing. I think we need to help our neighbor and stop this sin of indifference. One billion people live off one dollar a day. While we go to Starbucks daily, for a fix of a latte and i'm embarrassed i'm very ashamed because i'm guilty of this it's time for a change grace for god's hands and feet we need to come together in unity we can make a difference as community but we need to go all in you hearing me That was Julian. Julian is a, a small group leader, C group leader here at Grace, and I appreciate him writing that and doing that for us. And he's actually uh, producing four of those that help us to kind of frame impact. For those of you who've been around uh, Grace for a while, you know what impact is. And for those of you who are new, let me just explain it. Every year about this time, uh, we set aside a few weeks to tell you about what we do internationally and what we do locally in partnership with other organizations. Uh, and in the process of doing that, you get to see just how God has used us and in a way to uh, have impact out there. But we also uh, set aside a day, uh, and this year it happens to be on the 16th, to take up an offering and to give all that money to our partners. So this year we are looking to raise $300,000 and then give it all away uh, to our ministry partners, whether they're here locally or uh, internationally, or some of them are crew at, at college campuses. Uh, so we're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. Um, I will be sharing stories of our ministry partners. I just kind of want to give you uh, the fine print. This is a small print. When I do share stories, uh, more often than not, uh, we will not use the actual images of the children. We will never use the images of the children, actually, and we won't use their real name, and we just do that to protect them. Um, so we just want you to know that in case you look at a photo and you think, I, I, don't, I think I know who that is. Just know we're not using the actual photos and we're not using the actual names, and I just felt like you needed to know that just so we're being integral here as we talk about people. We just do that to protect everybody. So here's the deal. What we believe... Uh, is the only way that we'll reach this goal of $300,000 is if we're all in. So that's really the theme uh, for this uh, giving campaign, that we want to do this together, that we're all in. And all we're asking from you is that you prayerfully ask God what you should give. Uh, and if every family will do that, there's no question in my mind, we will more than exceed that $300,000. And if we go over, we'll use that money to bless our partners as well. So um, all of the money that we raise, <coughs> excuse me, will be given out. 
whether it's 300 or 500, uh, whatever the Lord gives us is what we're going to distribute out to our partners. Okay, makes sense? So we're going to be talking about it for the next four weeks, and then we're going to have an offering on the 16th. You with me? All right. Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. That's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in chapter 8, and we're going to start reading in verse 31. If you have what's called a red-letter Bible, where Jesus' words are in red, you'll notice that a a large portion of this chapter, chapter 8, is red because Jesus is in a pretty intense dialogue, if you will, with um, the religious leaders and those who are around. They're probably in the temple courts. They're in an area where Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, but people are gathered around and they're listening to Jesus as he talks, right? And, and so he is, is having this pretty intense, maybe one of the most intense conversations that he has with the religious leaders. You're going to see that in just a, min- a minute. And And what's happening is people are listening, and as they're listening, some of them are choosing or they're believing in Jesus while they're listening to these two groups, Jesus and the religious leaders, have this conversation. If you have a a Bible like mine, there's a heading right above verse 31 that says, the truth will set you free. I don't know if you know this, but those headings are not part of the original scripture. They're just there for us to navigate the scriptures more easily, to help us find chapter titles, to help us define what we're looking for. Um, But the truth is, that's in the scripture that we're going to read. And the question that I want to ask you is, the truth will set you free. What does that really mean? What does it really mean that the truth will set you free? That's what we're chasing after today. So verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, those are those who were listening in on that conversation and they'd begun to believe. He he turns and he looks at me and he says, if you abide in my word and are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, if you know the Jewish history, that's a pretty ironic thing for them to say as they have been captured and enslaved multiple times. But anyway, a little bit of denial there. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's just read 36 one more time. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Now the dialogue has shifted from those who believe, and now he's speaking directly to the religious leaders in their plot to to kill Jesus. So he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, that Abraham did, but, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I had heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. Verse 41, you are doing the works of your father did. They send to him, we were not born in sexual immorality. They're taking a shot at Jesus' virgin birth that they didn't believe was a virgin birth. They know his story. It's a small community, they know. So they say, we were not born in sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. 
for I come from God and, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You, now this is where it gets pretty intense. These are strong words. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. All right, keep your Bibles open. We're going to talk about this a little bit more, but let me just pray for us. Lord, I, I pray as we unpack this passage, uh, your words, your, the very words of Jesus, that you would just give us insight, that you would open our hearts to what you would have for us today. I pray that the seeds of truth would be planted, that they would grow, that they would bear fruit a hundredfold. Our prayer this Sunday is the same prayer that we've prayed every week, that we would leave different than we came because we've sat in the presence of the living God. So do what only you can do. Use my words, use the word of God, use the songs that we sing, use communion as we move to that. Whatever it is you choose to use, use it to bring about change in our lives that we would leave different. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage is really a commentary on the effects of truth and the effects of lies. If you go back and you just read it with that in your mind, like, like what is Jesus talking about? There is a thread that runs through the whole thing. What, what is it that, that happens when truth is, is a part of our lives? And what is it that happens when lies are a part of our lives? It's a commentary on, on the effects of truth and lies, not only on us as individuals, but if you really start to let what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders sink in, it's a commentary on the effects of truth and the effects of lies, even on society, even on groups of people or on family structures. And what it's really saying is that lies will always bring about bondage or slavery, and truth will always bring about freedom. Lies are about bondage. Truth is about freedom. And if this is true, it ought to get our attention, right? It ought to cause us to ask a question of ourselves. What do I believe? And is what I believe truth? Because if what you believe is a lie, it's creating some kind of bondage or slavery in your life. And we all have falsehoods, we believe. That's just a good place for a start. Can we just own that? Like there are all, in every single one of us, there's something we believe that isn't necessarily true. And so the good work of discipleship is that discovery. And Jesus even says, if you're my disciple, you're going to Learn the truth. You're going to know the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth is going to set you free. Verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you're my disciples, verse 32, you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, there is this concept when we study the scriptures and, and begin to sink into the scriptures that I call the ripple effect. And, and the idea is this. Once you figure out the, the core meaning of a passage of scripture, quite often there are uh, centrical rings, just like if you were to drop a, a stone in, the, in a pond and those rings would go out. And so when you look at this particular passage, you should know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. The core meaning of that, if we could put up that first slide, is this. This is the central, this is the bullseye, this is the middle. Jesus is our freedom. When you know Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, in the life, right? Jesus is the truth. If you look at this chapter a little bit earlier in the chapter, he even says God is truth. Jesus is the truth. And this is a, a clear picture of salvation, that when you put your trust in Jesus, you are freed from death and you have eternal salvation, right? That's the central meaning. But there is ripples of meaning that go out from this. Anytime we learn truth, it becomes an opportunity or, or an advancement of freedom in our lives. So uh, I'm just giving you some examples of things that are true that when you begin to believe them will bring about freedom. So maybe the next ripple, if you will, is I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, this isn't a, a, what's in that passage. The passage is just saying, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. This is a biblical truth. As you get to the place where you know this, where you believe this, where you internalize this, there is freedom that comes from that, right? It, it, it creates a whole different level of, of, of self-worth, of, of, of everything that you do. When you believe something different than this, that, that you believe that you're damaged or that there's something about you, then, then you're in bondage to that. You see what I'm saying? So there is this ripple effect. How about the next one? Could be God has a plan for my life. Again, the passage isn't saying all this. The passage is just saying, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. This is a biblical truth. As you learn that truth, the truth will set you free. Do you see how, what I'm showing you here is that, that the passage has this ripple effect that goes on. And we could literally do this all day. You could say the next one could be, um, I need others around me to finish well. A biblical truth. The more you learn that you can't navigate life by yourself, that you can't navigate your Christian journey by yourself, that's a biblical truth. I learned that truth. The truth sets me free because then I begin to live in community and community helps me to navigate all the one another studies or words that are in scripture. Or how about this one? All people are created by God. All people are created to be equal. God creates, he doesn't create a race that's better than another race. Imagine if we all believed this, how different society would be. You wouldn't have a Nazi Germany to ever, you wouldn't have a Dalit people in India who are oppressed because they're told that they're not even created by God. You wouldn't have slavery the way that we had it. We wouldn't have oppression of people of color in America if this were really believed and true. So you're beginning to understand. So all I'm saying in this passage you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Every time you're in the word of God, every time you're studying and there is a truth that begins to, to take hold in you, what you need to realize is that truth is an opportunity for freedom. Not because you said, I believe it, but when you actually believe it. Right? It's not enough for us to say, I believe it. It has to become internalized. It has to be something that moves us towards action or causes us to, to live out our lives differently. Everything you, you believe, everything you, you feel comes back to just knowing this, this one thing. You should know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, So this is so important. I'm going to come at it from another angle because I really want you to get it. It's, it's critical that we understand this. So Everything you do, everything you think, the way you respond to circumstances are all filtered through how you answer these two sentences. God is, 
I am what you put in this blank is either truth or it's a lie, right? And if it's truth, it will be about freedom. And if it's a lie, it will be about bondage, right? God is, you fill in the blank. I am, right? When we believe something that's not true, that isn't what God has said about us, it becomes something that creates this, this dissidence in our lives. It creates uh, unrest in our lives. And what we need to know is that Satan's full-time job is to fill in the blanks with lies, he is working overtime in all of our lives, in your family, in society, to fill in these blanks with lies because he knows the minute I can get you to believe a lie, you're in bondage. So G Jesus is talking about Satan in verse 44, and he says, he, Satan, is a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand, for he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. He's the author of lies. He's the writer of lies. He's the one that brings the lies into our lives that we tend to believe. When we believe a lie, and our hearts are connected to lie, it creates dissidence. It creates a source of discord in our lives. It actually becomes the source of violence and, and, and arguments in our lives. Verse 43, it says, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my words. The religious leaders were being confronted by truth against their lies, and it was creating unrest in them. It was creating this sense of, of I don't like the way I feel, because that's what's going to happen. Whenever you believe a lie and truth comes, your first reaction to it is going to be re to resist it, to, to feel shame or embarrassment or even to fight against it. And if we know that, then we can ask a deeper question. What's going on inside of me? What is it that I actually feel? There's a battle going on between truth and lie. So I'm going to speak to the men for just a minute. Meg asked me why I just didn't talk to spouses and because I'm afraid of women. No, it's not really. Because <laughs> I am a man and I understand how men think better than how women think. I have no idea how women think. And somehow I'm getting more and more in the weeds here than I need to. All right, <laughs> men. Have you ever had this experience? Your wife is pointing out to you something about you that is true, yet as they're pointing it out to you, you are becoming agitated, maybe even angry. And there's like this two voices in your head, you know she's right, but you really want her to stop talking right now. <laughs> right? Now, am I the only person that, right? Look, that's, that, the point is, that's normal, that's natural, because there's a lie, and someone's coming and confronting the lie, and we don't like the way it feels when we see the lie, but it's in there. Truth equals freedom, lies equals bondage. Back to our two sentences. God is, I am. Satan is trying to fill in the blanks. Listen to this. All of our sin is rooted in the lies that we put in these blanks. Go all the way back to the garden, what happened? Satan shows up in the form of a snake and he says, did God really say that? Really? You know he's holding out on you, right? You know that God isn't really for you. He's keeping something from you. 
Matter of fact, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God. It was all a lie. Why was it a lie? Because he's the father of lies. And they believed the lie, and as they say, the rest is history. But imagine how different the story would have been if they had just stopped for a minute and they had practiced the discipline of filling in the blanks with what they know to be true. What if Adam had just said to Eve, like, like, wait, 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 wait. This sounds good, but, but man, God is so good. Like, like, man, you are like so awesome. And I get to live in this garden with you. Man, God comes and he walks with us every night in the garden. Look at all the stuff around us. Look at all that we have going. Man, God is awesome. God is good. Wait, I, I don't think what he's telling, it can't be true. Because it goes against what I know to be true about God. Like, what if they had just slowed down a little bit and practiced the discipline of, of, of knowing the truth and, and reciting the truth to themselves? What if we did? What if when temptation came, we stopped for a minute and said, wait a minute, God loves me. Wait a minute, God, no, no, God is good, right? But quite often we fill in the blank with something else, like God's holding back from me. God really doesn't want me to be happy if I do this. But I mean, we have all kinds of of ways of filling in the blanks. Verse 44, he speaks out of his own character. It's who he is. It's who Satan is. He is a liar, and he is going to work full time to fill your mind and your hearts with lies. God is. I am. So maybe you believe God is distant. Maybe you believe God is aloof. Maybe you believe God is God, but he doesn't really see me as an individual. He doesn't really care about me as a person. He's just that creator out there. Maybe you just don't even believe. Maybe yours is God doesn't exist. God is silent. God is disappointed in me. God has forgotten me. God is cruel. Or maybe when you think about the I am statement, you think things like, I'm damaged goods. <laughs> I've done a lot of bad things. I'm just broken. I'm forgotten. I'm unlovable. I'm less than. I'm incapable of whatever it is. If what we place in those, lie, in those blanks are lies, it's bondage. So what I want to do for just a minute is just give you a chance to ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you what might be a lie in your life. So we're just going to give you just a, a minute of silence just to, to listen. Lord, I just pray in this moment that you would reveal some of the lies that we believe. I just pray that you would speak. Just encourage you to maybe just open your hands as just a sign of being open to the Lord speaking to you. And just listen. Maybe the Lord will give you a word or a picture, but allow him to do that. Lord, I just pray in the days, weeks ahead, that you would just continue to peel back the layers, that you would show each of us 
those areas where we're in bondage to a lie. And that you would replace the lie with truth and that the truth would set us free. Amen? Now I want to remind you for a couple minutes about the truth. The truth is, you are God's work of art. You are God's handiwork, the scriptures say. And you are created to do something that God has set aside just for you to do. God delights in you. This is a picture of my grandkids. Um, That's why I showed it, because I wanted to get that reaction. (laughs) Here's the deal. I really love these guys. Uh, More than I even knew that I would. That's kind of what it's like. I was going to show you pictures of my kids, but they're not nearly this cute. Um, (laughs) They grew up. It happens. Uh, But this is Clyde and Caitlin. I love being in their presence. I just love being in the room when they're there. I love watching them. I love listening to them. Uh, We were at Easter Market yesterday morning, and uh, they FaceTimed us just, you know, in their pajamas in the morning or sitting there. And I'm quite sure that my heart actually sped up a little bit in my excitement just to see them on the screen and talk to them. I I love it when they mess up. I love it when they're trying to learn, whether it's Caitlin's learning to put her sentences together or Clyde's just finding his words. And there's just something delightful in watching them do that. I love it when they're trying to walk and they fall down. I love all all of just watching them grow and develop and be who God has made him to be. It's delightful. It's, it's awesome. I love these two. But as much as I love these two little people, it pales in comparison to how much your dad loves you. It pales in comparison to how much God delights in you. He loves you beyond your wildest imagination, beyond even your ability to conceive of the love. He delights in you. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He's not waiting for you to screw up so he can punish you. He's not disappointed in who you are. He made you who you are. He loves who you are, and he wants you to live into your full potential. He's excited when you are trying. He's excited to see you fail when, you, when you're moving forward and, and failing forward, as they say. He delights in you because you're his child. He doesn't love you less because of your sin, and he doesn't love you more because you achieve. He just loves you. There's an incredible verse from Zephaniah that I just want to share to kind of bring this truth home because this is part of the truth that's going to set you free. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, He's here. He's not distant. He's with you. A mighty one who will save. This is really just a a portrait of he's a mighty warrior. He's the great creator. He's the almighty God, and he is with you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. How many of you could use some quieting 
and the anxiety of life and the busyness of life and in the difficulties of life. And there's just this beautiful promise. He will quiet your spirit by his love. And then it says, he will exalt over you with loud singing. God is deeply in love with you. He dances over you. God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so that you could be with him in eternity. If we could just grasp that truth, if we could truly hold on to the, all of the ramifications of God's love, how much God loves us, and the truth of what Jesus did for us, it would liberate us in ways we can't even imagine. There's a brilliant author and pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson. He passed away just a few weeks ago. A very prolific writer, tons of books. I love his writings. Uh, he is the one that authored The Message, which some of you probably have enjoyed, just, as a, uh, just to give you some context. Uh, but at his funeral, his son Leif said something that I think is worth us hearing. It just really captured uh, kind of the heart of what I'm trying to say here. He said for over 50 years, his dad only uh, preached one sermon. But somehow he was able to make that one sermon fresh every week and make people think that that sermon was uh, uh, just for them. He said, but I knew my dad's secret because dad had been telling me this for 50 years. I think what he's referencing here is that he told him so many times as a kid that even as an adult when he went to bed, he could still hear his dad's words as he laid on his bed. He said, this is a quote, for 50 years you'd seal into my room at night and whisper softly to my sleeping head the same message over and over. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And he is Relentless. Church, I want you to hear this. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And he is relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And he is relentless. This is the truth that will set you free. So the question is, what does this have to do with missions? And the answer is everything. Because if people are in bondage and truth is freedom and God has revealed truth to us, then our job is to bring truth to the people who are in bondage. We are purveyors of truth. God has entrusted a message to us. How is God going to tell the world about his truth? He's going to empower his church. He's going to empower you and I. He's going to empower our ministry partners to be the ones to take the truth to people. We are called to know the truth, and we are called to be purveyors, to, to be the ones who take the truth to the world. We are actually called to the same ministry that Jesus had, which was what? A ministry of freedom. I've come to set the captive free, Right? And then he entrusts to us that same message of taking it forward. I want to give you just two examples of, of how that happens. And it's just two of, of many, many examples you're going to hear over the next few weeks. But I want to just show you this video and then just talk about how this plays out in the truth and lies category. So let's show the video. 
literacy. Is literacy important? Children who can't functionally read by nine years old face tough odds. 66% will end up in prison or on welfare. Teen pregnancy is six times more likely. At-risk students who can't read are 19 times more likely to drop out. 75% of all food stamp recipients are functionally illiterate. And that's just the beginning. Every Sunday, over 50 million people attend church in America. And for over a decade, a growing movement of churches have been partnering with schools. And now, we are being called to something more. We are going to partner with schools to teach the children to read. Because any child who reads at grade level by nine years old has an 89% chance of graduating high school. Ending illiteracy changes lives and communities forever. Imagine being uh, first, second grade, falling through the educational cracks, uh, being functionally illiterate, struggling in school. Imagine all of the lies that come with that. I am incapable. I am dumb. I am forgotten. No one cares. All kinds of lies. Satan will use that to implant as many lies as he can in that child's life. But imagine when the church shows up and we have opportunities to go into to the schools and just sit with these kids and we say, look, we're going to help you. And they remember, it was the church that came alongside me. God saw me. God recognized. There's just, there's just something powerful that happens when we serve in Jesus' name. It's a great opportunity for us to be the church, to be purveyors of truth. Paul says in Romans, how will they call on him if they don't believe, and, and how will they believe on him if they've never heard, and, and how will they hear without someone preaching? You're the someone who's supposed to preach. I just don't know if you know that. It's not, my job is to inspire you to go out there and tell the world about Jesus. And then you can bring him here and we'll keep talking about it. But your job, you're the ones who are called to take the message to be purveyors of truth. We have a rich history of missions here at Grace. 120 years as a church, and really just some profound ministry partners who are changing the face of missions around the world. And one of our partners uh, is, works in uh, India, and I just want to share one more story, uh, and then we'll move to communion. But this is Annika, and Annika, at the age of 12 years old, was sold into trafficking. Uh, this is a true story. And uh, for two years... She lived in that environment where she was abused daily. 12 years old. Imagine the lies that Annika begins to believe as she is oppressed and abused over and over and over. But at the age of 14, she's rescued by this group that we call Courage Homes. It's the name of the group in northern India. And really, for the first several months, uh, all she could do was sit there. She couldn't participate. She never spoke. She just sat there, broken, damaged, 
in bondage. But as the caregivers continued to love her well and express to her the truth that there is a God who loves her beyond her wildest imagination, she began to heal. And she began to come out of that protective shell that she had built. Now Annika is a part of Courage Homes. Now Annika is, is one of the girls that helps to tell the other girls that God loves them. God hasn't forgotten them, that God cares for them. She is a purveyor of truth. You are purveyors of truth. Impact 2018 is about reaching more people with the truth, with the message that God has entrusted to us. So we're gonna move to communion and I love that it's communion. For those of you who have been at Grace for a while probably know that um, I just love communion. I love it because it is a supernatural event. Uh, this is not a ritual. This is not uh, something we just do. It is something that Jesus himself commanded us to do. And something supernatural happens when we stop and reflect and then we partake and so my encouragement to you is the servers come and you guys can come and grab this and they're gonna hand it out and we're gonna take it together is just take a little time. What do you believe about God? God is. And let the remembering of communion help to remind you of who God is and that all he has done for you. So they're gonna hand it out. If you just hold the elements, I'll come back up and we'll partake together. But just to take it as a time of reflection. God is.
just knew that we have an uh, innate ability to forget the truth. And so he said, whenever you're together, do this and remember. What are we supposed to remember? That he gave his body and his blood for us. That he sacrificed everything so that you could have everything. That he came to show you the full display of how much the Father loves you. So in that night in the upper room, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, remember me. It says in the same way he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Every time you drink it, remember me. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to remember that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing uh, before we leave. So John's going to lead us in a song. So let's do that. He's body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in joseph's tomb the entrance healed by heavy stone messiah still and all